leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. First, I want to thank you all for joining. If you are joining us on LinkedIn, make sure you follow myself. Make sure you follow Mike Johnson. I'll have a link to his LinkedIn profile after the fact. I'll add that to the show comments. For those of you following us on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button as well as the notification button so that the next time we come on, you'll see our lovely faces. Um, and for those of you that can't see our faces on podcast, feel free to share with everyone else. Um, we're on all the major podcast platforms and share with anyone that's looking to break into cybersecurity or maybe even interested in cybersecurity because we share a diverse set of views from individuals that come into the industry to inspire others to come on in. So our guest today is Mike Johnson. Um, he is over in the UK. So um, he is with a an organization that I've chatted with before, um, with you, with me, and we'll kind of get into that in a bit. But we want to focus more on Mike's story. So Mike, um, introduce yourself a little bit. Hey, how's it going? I'm uh, Mike Johnson, uh, currently working as the SOC manager for the UK for With You With Me. Um, prior to that, I was uh, DevSecOps and security operations, um, but that was sort of after trying to get into security for a considerable amount of time, or well, a few years anyway. Um, oh. Go ahead. What were you doing before that? Uh, before that, I worked in tech. Um, okay. It was um, it was trying to get actually into security, which was where the passion and sort of interest was. Um, so I've worked in a few sort of infrastructure roles, which was interesting. But I'm, I'm a home lover, so that was kind of I'm getting paid to do my hobby. But it wasn't that um, it wasn't that sort of drive where I was like, oh, this is fun, but it's not something that I'm kind of passionate about. So. Um... You, did you start those roles because you wanted to move into cyber or um, you were interested in the, those roles because it was kind of like your hobby? 
if I'm honest, I graduated from university and was somewhat naive to the fact that, okay, I've got this degree in cybersecurity and digital forensics. I should be able to get an entry-level role in security. Um, I applied for a few that were in my area and it was all filtered out being, oh, you've not got X amount of years of experience or we need someone who's got this certification and things. Um, so I was I sat there and I was like, okay, I'll look to do a master's degree. I was like, this might help. It might be that sort of, it might be that extra step that I need to get these entry-level roles. And um, I dropped out after a few months because it just wasn't to my taste. Um, and I was in a position where I needed a job. So I just started applying for any technical or IT-related role I could find. Um, and I ended up as a technical analyst um, at a fintech company, um, which was relatively interesting. Um, and it, it wasn't overly tasking. Um, so it was one of the things that it was kind of, oh, great, I've got a job in tech. Um, but it just, I needed more from it, more from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, I ended up going internally, I moved to the application support side of things, which was a little bit more hands-on and a little bit more um, server related, which was something I, I did for fun anyway. So it was kind of um, quite a nice transition. But again, it was just that sat there and not completely satisfied and wasn't quite happy in my role. And I, I'm a nightmare if I get bored. Um, I, I kind of need to be sort of interested or I just lose, like I'm bored and I need to move on. Um, yeah. So I looked for, a, I think it was an IT engineer role um, and I went to the interview and it went well um, and they offered me a position in the platform engineering team instead because we ended up nerding out about servers and, oh, you've got a rack of servers at home. Yeah, chatting about that for half an hour and they were sort of like, oh, we'll take this chance. Okay. <clears throat> and that's how I ended up doing the infrastructure stuff because I had the... I spoke to the head of tech at the time and we just had like sort of a nerd out about sort of home lab and then PF sense routers and things. Um, so that went quite well from the fact that for that sort of respect. Yeah. Well, that's something that we, we recommend to, to individuals, right? To, if you can't get the hands-on experience anywhere else, get it at home, talk to it at home, and then you can share that with, with hiring managers like you did and it helps you uh, with your with getting the position. Yeah, definitely. And it's one of these things that even um, even some of the stuff when I was interviewing for the IT role, um, there's bits and pieces there. Oh, Windows Server. You know, I've never been a professional Windows Systems Administrator. I've got a Windows Server at home. I've played around with ADs and things like that. Um, I can set up a file share and it's that, okay, you've kind of done this or you can, you can hold a conversation enough. It's that sort of... Um, it shows you're interested as well, which I think is a big thing where if someone sits there and goes, oh, I do this for fun or in my spare time, I'm actually trying to develop myself. It's a huge yeah. thing. It shows that you're not just looking for a job. You're actually looking for something that you want to do. When your, um, when your co-workers, uh, Greg Hanneman, uh, mentioned building your home lab is key to learning and finding, finding work, uh, which I, I definitely would agree with him. So let's... So it sounds like at this point, you've gotten a couple roles, you, you're now in the infrastructure side, but you still have that yearning for security. Um, what was that struggle like trying to get over to the security side? It was one of them things that any opportunity, um, the company I was at at the time didn't have a technical security team. So the infrastructure team was security, um, which was great in the respect that as soon as something sort of a bug bounty came in, I could just jump on it and I could sort of indulge myself that way um but it was sort of few and far between and I, I enjoyed the job it was great but there was always like in my spare time I'm building honeypots and things like that and capturing malware samples and it's one of these things that 
you spend eight hours a day doing a job that I enjoyed, but I'm spending another six hours on an evening doing security stuff. And um, I sat down and I was like, I need to sort of start doing this professionally because it's um, it's something that's fun. Like I quite like getting paid to do things that I enjoy. Um, yeah. So that was that, that was the big thing for me. I would spend hours on an evening just building out, like downloading back malware samples and sandboxing them just to see what happened. Um <clears throat> And playing along with things that way and just learning in my own sort of in my own time which some of it yeah. did transfer over as well um i sort of um configuring web servers securely and things like that was obviously i ran a web servers at home okay how do i secure them well i do this for work so it's kind of it all builds up and it's all i think it's all about picking up as much um as much knowledge as you can from every area so it's kind of a journey as opposed to sort of a direct path and you need to sort of grab as much as you can on the way yeah that that's that's so important that you highlight kind of that that well one the journey and allowing the journey to be that and not just like oh you're in the wrong role but realizing that you're 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 just creating footsteps to your next next role and then also like kind of gathering all the transferable skills from the different areas because if you weren't in the infrastructure role you might know had that experience if you weren't in the support roles you might not have understood why people do the stuff that they do um and how to fix it so um yeah no definitely um and then that as i said that role was great but um again getting bored quite easily so um i think i got approached by the recruiter and i was like you know what i'll, I'll take the jump i'll move it. it was another infrastructure role but i sat there and I was like, oh, this will be interesting it'll be fun um and I did not enjoy that role in the slightest. Um, so I think I'd been there about a month or two and I was like, I, I need to find something different now. And I was like, I set that sort of, you know what, I'm just going to do whatever I can to move into security. Um, one of the sort of catch-22s is though, that at that point, sort of an entry-level role came with an entry-level salary. And I wasn't in a position where I could afford to take the financial hit to move into sort of an entry-level role. So I was applying for like security engineer roles and DevSecOps roles. And it was one of them things that, okay, you've never done this professionally. I was like, well, I've done infrastructure. I've just not done the directly security side of it. I can talk to you about the infrastructure, about the stack. That's brilliant. Okay, but you need to have a Splunk was a huge one. Have you ever used Splunk? No. Well, that's like 80% of what our security engineers do. And I'm like, yeah, but I can, I can learn Splunk. Like, <laughs> You know, it's one of these things where it's, um, I think a lot of the hiring processes. I think well, hiring in security is broken on a lot of sort of, you can teach people skills, you can't teach them passion. And yep. if someone comes to me and goes, oh, you know, I've been doing this in my spare time, it's fun, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, that means they're, they're teachable. If they've got that passion in their drive, they're going to outperform someone who might have three or four years experience who just does it for the job. <laughs> no, absolutely. Totally agree with that. Um that that passion, that curiosity, like you mentioned, um, downloading the, the malware samples, containing them. Um, you, you can't teach that. Um, you, you can make them do it, but you can't really teach them to want to do it and to to, to have that curiosity. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's a big thing. I mean, when I actually got into security, it was a DevSecOps role. And again, the when I read the job description, um, I was sat there and I was like, there's no chance in hell. They want seven plus years Kubernetes experience. I'd never used Kubernetes because we weren't a microservice place, any of the places I'd worked. 
Um, so I, sort of five years experience in this, several years experience in this. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to throw my hat in the ring, hope for the best and um, see what happens. Unfortunately, their recruitment process wasn't let's just filter people out based on sort of the criteria we're trying to meet. So I um, I was able to get an interview and I was chatting to the CISO and it was more of a sort of, he's like, like we're going to go over some sort of very top level infrastructure security type questions. And then it was driving the conversation into what I'm interested in and sort of what I like to do. Um, I think that's a big thing as well, because interview interview technique is something that I've never been great with, because um, I end up getting into a rabbit hole if we start talking about something that I'm really interested in, or I'll just derail the conversation to just drive it that way. But at the same time, because I've had that sort of, people can tell that you've got that sort of spark and that interest. And I think I spoke to him after and he's like, yeah, you can just tell that this is something you're wanting to do. And I was like, oh yeah, like, I could have gone for another half hour, 40 minutes, like we could have just kept talking, it was great. And I, I think I even said that at the end, I was like, I don't really mind how this goes. I just like talking security. So having a 45 minute chat about this stuff, well, that's great for me. Yeah, that's that's um, that's a really good point with regards to um, interview technique, right? It, it's one thing to, to get stumped on, oh, I've never done Splunk, but if you can pivot very comfortably I haven't done Splunk, but I've done log aggregation. I've done log analysis. I've done all the things that a Splunk would help you do. Yeah. A hiring manager will see that um, you you have the transferable skills. You just mightn't have used the actual application. Yeah, I think sometimes, um, especially when you see a job description and they're spe- like specifying certain tools, I think it's very sort of, it does deter a lot of people because you will sit there and be like, oh, I've never used Splunk before. I've used a different sim, but I've never used Splunk or I've been using Greylog for years. You peel back the layers and they are all essentially the same type of tool. And it's just that sort of allowing someone to actually show you that they can do something um, as opposed to sitting there and reading a piece of paper and going, that's a no for me. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, yeah, so that's, I moved into the infrastructure side in DevSecOps and um, that was a great opportunity. Um, it was a relative, Well, it was a big company and that was a new security program. So it was quite a greenfield opportunity for me to just pretty much play around and see where I liked. And the CISO was, he was literally like, just see what you can do, see what you can fix. If there's any issues, sort of raise it, get it sorted. And it was that um, self-discovery in the fact that I'm just sort of trawling through. I mean, I hadn't used AWS either. That was on-prem I was used to. So I'm trawling through this cloud account and trying to work out what EC2 instances mean and things like that because none of the words like none of the um the names make any sense at first yeah. um it'll be elastic something and you sat there and it takes a little while but it's that process of sort of just delving through and enjoying it and finding okay well this bucket's public why is it public and sort of that discovery and then having to liaise with the other teams and you know could we get this sort of put behind a firewall oh it's cdn that makes total sense well is there anything else on it in sort of um it was just that sort of, I really enjoyed it in the fact that I'm just sort of doing security stuff, um, which was absolutely great. For those that don't understand what um, DevSecOps is, um, what's your view on DevSecOps? I think it depends on the organization and how they structure it. So when I was doing DevSecOps, I was on the security team and I was like a liaison between security and DevOps, 
Um, so obviously we had the guys in DevOps who were doing the infrastructure and building the platform, maintaining it, managing it. Um, and I was basically just trying to find issues and trying to find holes in it. Um, and then going back to them and being like, look, can we sort this out? Or, you know, why is this like this? Is there a reason? And sort of working with them. Um, and it's one of these things that I think in some places, sort of DevSecOps is instead of having security engineers or dedicated security personnel, we're going to have the infrastructure team take that responsibility and drive that, which is a great system because you've got the people who are hands-on all day with the uh, infrastructure and the stack. They're going to know where the sort of deficits and where the sort of issues are. Um, yeah. But again, I think sort of with the DevOps cycle and things like that, I think it's that shift left approach and it's getting, it's removing the responsibility from security and making, empowering the entire organization. So you you take the, you can have your security engineer at one end, but you're moving it through the infrastructure down to the developers. And it's that earnest that everyone then sort of champions their own security and is thinking in a more secure manner, which is obviously great from a organizational perspective because you've got more than one set of eyes um looking at everything <laughs> no that that's that that's definitely such a good point and i like that rather than going back to the developers and saying that you did something wrong you were more okay why did you do this like yeah. asking the question and uh, and not taking like no you shouldn't do this type of, of approach um that that's definitely good so how did you shift from that role to um uh, your your current role um so it was by chance actually um they were looking to build out their team in the uk and i got a linkedin message from a recruiter um and to be fair i get random messages from recruiters all the time with roles that aren't applicable or you know it's just it's every day it's you know we found you on our search come work for us and i'm usually just like oh no thank you but you know thank you for considering me but i'm not interested and um the with you with me um it's obviously a social in impact company with a great cause so that i think the hook was do you want to help neurodiverse people and veterans get into work and i was like ah right okay so you've hooked me here right so let's let's have this call and um so i spoke to the recruiter and it was okay you've not got the SOC management experience. I mean, I'd never worked in a SOC. I had the security operations background and a decent enough understanding over the alerting systems and things. And it was like, but you've got that core knowledge, that drive, passion. Okay, awesome. Let's, you know, not look at where you've been and look at what you can do. And um, I think it was like three stages of interviews and things, which obviously is trying to filter out, um, see if you're a right fit and get like that sort of get to know you a little bit. Um, yeah. And it, again, it was sort of, I'm in the position I'm in now because of how the company looks at people as opposed to, you know, I've not got 10 years of industry experience, but here's me on a piece of paper. I'll have a chat with you. And it's that sort of level. Um, and to be fair, the infrastructure side of things, like it's one of these things I call up. So when I'm just sat there on a day, you do pick up bits and pieces that you've sort of acquired on your sort of journey. Um, so even if you're looking at like you're doing a uh, risk assessment for certain assets in your estate, because of the infrastructure stuff I used to do, I can sit there and be like, okay, well, let's talk about this. Or when I'm um, trying to explain to like the um, level one um, stock analysts and things like that, and it's breaking it down, it's like, all right, okay, Redis database, in-memory database, that's what that is. And um, it's just calling on sort of everything I've done so far and accumulating it into sort of um, useful knowledge to try and pass on to people as well. Yeah. No, that, that's... The... 
the ability for someone to take all their past experiences, whether it was in a help desk or in infrastructure and be able to say, okay, I did this, but this is why it's important to this new role is very, very important. Um, so what's it like going into, it sounds like you've done two or three different roles where it's been greenfield, you're building out new environments, you're learning new skills. Um, how do you skill up um, your environment, your skills when you're in that greenfield environment? Um, so I'm a, I'm a doer. I don't like reading journals. I don't like sort of watching videos, learn things. I'm very much hands-on. What's the problem? Okay, let's build out a solution. Let's find a solution. And obviously, depending on the solution you're trying to build out, there's lots of different areas that you can end up pulling on and dragging into. Um, so it's, it's one of these things that um, drive, sort of trying to drive yourself is a huge thing as well. Um, and it, again, it plays into that sort of curiosity and your level of passion. Um, like some people kind of, you'll, you'll hire someone, they'll sit, they'll do the job they've asked. Um, again, I get bored quite quickly. So I end up looking for things to do. And whilst I'm looking for things to do, I'm usually finding other things that are either a security issue or could be improved and make a note of that and then go back to it at a later date and sort of when I've got time. Um, but I think it's all about motivation. And if you want to upskill yourself, even if it's something that you might not have exposure to at work, buy a book, have rent a server on DigitalOcean, like five quid or something a month. Um, start playing around with things. I mean, if you wanted to get into malware, spin up some honeypots, download some samples, get a feeling. It's that sort of do what you need to do to sort of better yourself in that. It's one of these things like obviously you do um, you do have structure in like your role and you'll have like a progression plan. But if it's something that you actually, if there's an area that you want to move into, stick to like drive that sort of forward. It could be that you're um, big into malware analysis. A lot of malware analysis roles, you need to be quite um, experienced, program, things like that. Well, start downloading samples, start building up your blog, writing about it. You're going to learn the skills as you go. If you're documenting it with a blog as well, it's sort of it's re uh, rectifying your understanding and sort of firming it down. And it's just that process of continually absorbing as much information as you can. Yeah. So back in the, let's take a step back to that, like the DevSecOps role. It, it sounds like you never operated in a AWS space before. Yeah. How did you spin up like learning? While a lot of things are similar, a lot of things are different, right? Yeah. Um, understanding that the scaling aspect, the the, resi the resiliency aspect, um, how things are named differently and how they all interrelate. Like, how did you learn all that stuff? Did you, like, do you have platforms you recommend for individuals? Like, what do you recommend for individuals to spin up in that space? For me, it was just a case of pretty much Googling anything I didn't understand and reading into it, having a look at like the AWS documentation and things like that, or um, pretty much any sort of like if the infrastructure team were discussing something and they're using acronyms, things like that. And I didn't know them. Google it, having like sort of start asking questions. It's like, oh, what is this? What's the purpose of this? And it's um, like, I love questions. If people want to ask me questions, I'll happily answer. If I don't know something, I'm the first one to throw my hand up and be, you know, explain this to me. Like, I don't know this. You are at this point the expert. 
like let me let me know what's happening and it's it's um it's one of them things again some people just throw them into AWS they'll have a play around they'll get that feel for it um it, I think everything's it's I took a lot of it from I kind of understood how infrastructure worked from working in infrastructure and you're just kind of applying it to someone else's computer with a, comp- a complex GUI on it essentially um and then it's just as I say just googling bits and pieces every way uh, we have, we have um, a comment from a couple users that I want to address. Um, actually, first I'm going to switch to Greg. Um, he said, absolutely killing it in the role, potential over experience. And I was talking about um, how they, they looked at you as a person and saw the potential and made that decision to hire you. Yeah. Um, and as Sterling said, I love that. Happy Friday, Chris and Mike. Excited to hear about the cloud this morning. Um, yeah, the, the, the cloud is where a lot of people are moving. I mean, whether they like it or not, most people don't realize a lot of the services they use are in the cloud. Um, and for anyone that says that um, they're not in the cloud, um, they, they probably are. <laughs> yeah. So um, let, let's go back to like spinning up uh, in the space. Like, what do you do to, to, to keep current? <laughs> Um, I've got a Feedly feed with basically just tons of RSS. Um, it just ingests all the RSS broken down by um, like threat hunting, things like that, malware analysis, um, like CVs and things. And it's just trawling through that and getting a feel for it. And Twitter is a great source as well to stay current. Um, like if you've got a decent Twitter feed with a lot of different security professionals, you can get quite a lot of passive passive information from there. And then if it's something somewhat relevant to what you're doing at the time, you can again dig into it a little bit more, start pulling up. So, uh, like if it was a new malware sample that you've seen on Twitter, have a look on Malware Bytes blog. See if there's a sort of breakdown of it. See if they're breaking it down, and if there's not, have a look at FireEye. See if they've done something. It's just constantly trying to get as much information as possible, really. And in in your role as a SOC, um, I'm helping with like security operations. How do you take those and then go back and apply that as a defender so um when i was doing security operations it'd be a case of okay we've got a new um cv um print nightmare was a, a great example and it was obviously a massive mess due to how everything came about um so the original cv came out and then the proof of concept for that original cv came out after the patch um obviously being a separate cv in the same type um, so I'm sat there running this proof of concept against some of the infrastructure. I'm like, oh, we're vulnerable. No, no, we've done the mitigations. N- no, this is vulnerable. Having to go back in. Okay, this one's fine. Yep, we've got the first. We've got the first load in um, sorted. Now we need to look at these other two mitigations. And um, I think trying to apply it, it's just a case of once you gain an understanding as well, and it's prioritization as well. So obviously, if you run your vulnerability scanner against your infrastructure it'll come up with a load of very high, scary numbers and it'll be okay, everything's on fire. You'd look at the sort of, you look at the threat and you look at the risk and it's that human assessment and going, okay, you know, if someone was to already have breached our box, this is a pretty detrimental vulnerability. However, we've also got these sort of slightly lower ones that are on public facing assets that we need to address first. And it's, again, you start to pick things up and you'll gain an understanding of sort of, because again, looking at a CVE number and going, okay, this is a nine, or oh, everything's on fire, we need to fix this. And it's well, actually, you know, they already have to 
got into your infrastructure and at that point we're sat there going, okay, well, how did they get in? Let's look at that sort of area first before we move further down. Yeah. No, I, I love that prioritization. Um, so we're, we're kind of uh, approaching the, the the bottom end of the hour when we look to wrap up the podcast. Um, if I were to ask you, how would you summarize your, your whole journey into one piece of advice for someone following you? How would you do that? Um, don't get deterred by rejections. Um, and whatever your sort of, wherever you want to go, it could be that you want to go into pen testing, you could want to go into blue teaming. As much as you can, where wherever you can, just absorb as much information. Um, and it's one of these things that if you want to do pen testing, use Hack the Box, start driving into it, start capturing flags. It gives you, it might not necessarily be the, the thing to put on your CV that's going to sort of get you in there. But when you're sat in an interview and you're having that conversation, oh, well, actually, I got root on these four boxes last night and, you know, I've done these challenges and it's that. Try to bring out the human in the sort of the, the area that you're interested in into conversations and things. And just, again, any knowledge or any information you can just take, just grab it and sort of try, and to, try to learn around it. Okay. So you, but you said don't reject the rejections. The, yeah. With the rejections is that... Um, attempting to do something and failing or did you mean rejections as in applying for a company and getting rejected yeah well both if you're all trying to do something and it doesn't work the first time have a look at why it didn't work understand why it didn't work go ah. back to it ah, I, mean, I like that i love that methodology yeah and then again jobs if you're applying for entry-level roles and you're getting bounced back because you haven't got cissp in seven years of secret government experience you know for, keep looking keep applying um and it's that if you can get past the automated rubbish that is cutting a lot of people out sell yourself don't sell necessarily what you've done in your past sell what you know and what you want to do and what you can do yeah that, that's such a great point like I, I tell i say this almost all the time that your resume and your, your LinkedIn profile, especially, it's not the role you did, but the role that you want. Yeah. So make sure to, to figure out what you want first, and then you can tailor it to the role you want. Um, so with that last piece of great advice, we're, we're at the bottom of the half hour. We want to thank everyone for joining us on LinkedIn. Um, I'll update the, the posting with Mike Johnson's LinkedIn uh, link so that you can follow him. You can follow me. Uh, for those of you on YouTube, thank you very much for joining. Hit that subscription uh, button and that notification button. And for those of you on podcast, um, give us a, a rating in your favorite podcast player. That way more people can see us and share us with all your friends and family. Uh, thank you so much. And Mike, I really appreciate your time um, for sharing your journey with everyone. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors. We're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance 
For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.